Attention, please. Eastern Airlines Flight 19, now ready for departure. Welcome aboard the Walt Disney World Express Monorail. Now, ladies and gentlemen, we're entering the vacation kingdom of the world. There's enough land here to hold all of the ideas and plans we could possibly imagine. We call it Epcot. Will be our experimental prototype city of tomorrow. Welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast. Taking you back to the vacation kingdom of the world, the way it was, and the way it is in your memories. All right, welcome to another episode of the Retro Disney World Podcast, the official podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society. This is episode 75, where we'll be taking you back to Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure. So we're going to go back to that well-loved attraction playground at the Disney MGM Studios. But before I do that, let's go with our introductions as always. Mr. JT Couser, how are you doing tonight, JT? I'm great. I love an MGM episode. It's, this, this is right, right in my wheel your, well, as yeah, they say. That's... Right. <laughs> I love that. Oh, it is. It is. Uh, it, you know, it, it's funny. We were, the four of us were there a couple, well, about a month ago. And uh, it is really, a, it's, it's an interesting park. And it's, uh, uh, I've grown to like it over the years in a different way. So... Yeah, this was this was this played into it the the movie and yeah. the, the movie set. It was... That's right, the whole studio thing and understanding how they did that. And we're going to eventually talk about another Honey I Shrunk the Kids uh, in in the walking tour because we haven't done the walking tour yet, which is oh, great. Yes. That'll be a great episode coming up on that. Uh but we'll get to that eventually. Uh, I think being that that actual attraction was like three hours, it might take us twelve episodes to do that one. So. Uh, only how can tell how coming in from I, I got two more on my list here list here the lightning capital of the world apparently you're, you're, oh the uh, aloha, well, yes it is it is the lightning capital of the world we get a lot of lightning strikes here yeah so be careful lightning yep. hurts big uh be sure not to hide under trees and the whatnot how many times you've been struck now uh personally 14 14 it's better than 66 yeah, 13 was unlucky, but 14 is cool. <laughs> 14, you're good. He's been struck by lightning. How many times is it now, Reg? Six. Six times. Six, 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 times. Sixty-six times. God, that's got to hurt. And coming in from Philadelphia area, my friend Brian P. Miles. How you doing today, Brian? Greetings and salutations. And the reason that the Disney MGM Studios slash Disney Hollywood Studios grows on you as you get older is because it's so small and easy to walk. Yes. And as you get older, the idea of like you walk through Spaceship Earth and you're like, I got to go to the Italy Pavilion for pizza. Like, <laughs> isn't, there a, isn't there a tram or a bus or... Take some a friendship kind of, boat some, that doesn't... Yeah. <laughs> some kind of transit van that can run me back there or... You know, even the Magic Kingdom starts to seem big when, as you get older, and you're just like, "Ugh, let's walk." But there's also an after-dinner quaintness that is always fantastic. Uh, as you know, I yeah. When the sun goes down, I say there is no park that is better looking than Hollywood Studios and, yep. and all that neon and the the classic look. And we did our own little walking tour yep. after 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 dark after we left dinner at the Brown Derby. So that was wonderful. We're, 
We all enjoyed some wonderful Caesar salad. Oh, sorry, not Cobb Cobb salads. Where am I going? <laughs> I got in the wrong direction here. So, and I don't know if you saw on Twitter, but our friend Ed Clark, uh, who's your Ed on uh, Twitter, uh, had dinner at La Coca Van last night with Chef oh, Pitts, and excellent. Chef Pitts spent some time with him and told some good stories, and that's wonderful. Yes. All right. Well, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, but as always, uh, JT, you dig into the mailbag. Uh, we've been receiving a lot of different things over uh, over the past uh, couple months here, and this is our first real attraction uh, episode in a while. So, uh, do we have some? What do we? What, what, what are people uh, writing into us about? Lots of random stuff. I found this month to be a potpourri, and I'm oh. actually waiting for a response, actually, on one of the uh, questions we have here. But See that? Uh, we do research for you. Yeah, right on time. Uh, so this first one is from Brett, and this is actually going to be a fun uh, picture that you're going to see on the show notes here, or in the show notes. He says, just listen to your Maelstrom episode, uh, a favorite of a lot of people. He wanted to share... This opening crew 1988 shirt he picked up online a few months ago. Uh, he's just uh, he's curious if we've ever seen it. It's got a, a sweet, like, I don't know how I can probably describe the logo, what that's all about. It says World Showcase Epcot opening crew, May 1988. And uh, got some uh, Norwegian folks on there and a boat in the background. It's pretty slick. So, uh, how? What kind of art is that considered where? <laughs> Let me bring that up. Yeah, oh, where where half the, of the faces. The, yeah, that's the pavilion artwork. No, that no, no. They did. No, yeah, I know, but I'm, is there a term for that art where um, uh, you could, you could call it contone or black and white artwork? It's yeah, it's kind of almost sort of like a cut paper style. But if you've if if as uh, for the folks at at home, if you have ever seen pictures from, I think Brian posts the calendar every so often. The imaginary this, one that this has month all, actually. Yeah. All the logos from the different pavilions. This this was the official logo, and actually, it's funny. It does I don't know if that's the correct type from the from the pavilion, but um, all of the pavilions in World Showcase have these wonderful little like black and white, uh, you know, simple little illustrations. I, like I, I think most of them have ended up on T-shirts like Mexico and the American Adventure, uh, and this is a wonderful example of 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 that tradition continuing forward cool i was always curious about that it's always it's it's i mean now there's plugins the photoshop and illustrator that can make that happen in a second but it's a really cool yeah well you just just, in the old days you just sit down and and draw it (laughs) (laughs) you draw it in in pen and ink and then you take it to a a uh, oh my gosh a stat machine and then you'd shoot it so you could increase the size you know up or down uh, people probably have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about. But back before you could just scan things and make them the size that you wanted or, or draw them in Illustrator, you would you draw them in, uh, start with pencil, and then you'd eventually fill in the lines with you know black ink or tape or something. So you'd have just a straight black and white piece of artwork. And then you'd go to this machine called a stat camera, which was capable of photographing your artwork in just black and white and no shades of gray. And you would (laughs) change out lenses and Mm -hmm. adjust all these sizes and it had lights inside of it. So it it would light it up and then you'd take your picture of it after you dialed in how much bigger or smaller in percentages you need it. And then you get a physical piece of, of paper film out of it that you would have to run through chemicals <laughs> and then it would come out on the other end. The point and then you is, would cut, every, cut it out. Yeah. yeah. Everything and used cut to it be out really hard. 
It was. Everything was really, really hard to do. Yep. Today, it's just, you know, make it 200% bigger and hit the print button. My father had one of those giant stat cameras. Oh, he did. Because of, in the printing industry, right, you would do all your 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 mock-up and your pasting work first. So what right. they, they would do that at a specific size, the typesetting, and that was done in black and white. And then you would take that down to the camera and either do and you would make a photo negative that would then be developed like you would, you did. You could blow it up depending on what you did. And then that would then be the negative would then be burned onto the plate. Um and so, and then that would become the positive for the, for the ink transfer. So a lot of process. So the stat, yeah, photostat camera was, I remember actually I drew, I, I drew a picture of a mouse. I've got it somewhere sitting on a pumpkin and I told my dad, I, I drew it too large or too small. So I sent it, I sent him to work one day and he, he blew it up for me, <laughs> but he could do positives <laughs> as well as negatives, which was really yeah. cool. So what we're so. saying is if you're listening to us, there are two kinds of people who listen to this podcast. There are those of you who are familiar with going to a library or to a supermarket and paying a dime or a quarter to photocopy a page out of something that you needed to photocopy, or those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. And <laughs> we're explaining it uh, for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about. Oh, that was a thing there, that there, you used to do. Or, or the third person, your, your, one of your parents worked at a workplace and they ran a quick one for you just on the sly without getting oh, fired. Oh, absolutely. Oh, there you absolutely. go. Absolutely. You could, you could always do that. That was, uh, you know, there's uh, a friend of mine at lunch with a couple of weeks ago said, you know, my father told me, my friend Bob's in his 70s now, he's retired, but he says, my father told me there are two kinds of jobs in life. You can have the kind of job where you shower before you go to work or you shower when you come home from work. <laughs> So if he had the kind of job where he showered before he went to work, he might have had access or she might have had access to a Xerox machine that could copy stuff for you. There weren't a lot of auto mechanics though that had a Xerox or copier in their in their in their shops or factory floors or no. remember the one you'd have you'd go to the library sometimes or yeah, you'd have to You'd have to buy the. It was a dimer. Dimage, yeah. Some of them, yeah. I remember grocery stores had them. Yeah, grocery stores had them. Our our grocery store had them. And. Tom. Tommy. Hey, Richard, just making some copies. The Tom Man, making copies. (laughs) The Tomster, Tomaruski. The Tom Meister. Instead of the. You know, make copies now. The big plastic thing, ours the, the the those coin operated ones often just had like a vinyl sheet. Remember, it was, yeah, it was like, like a, real thin, and it was, like a, it was like it was like a foam. like like a car like a uh, uh, car mat, like a floor mat in a car that would mm-hmm. that would just lift up, and so they were made for you know to avoid abuse and breaking. All right, well we're gonna. We're we're gonna continue on the art path yeah, here. Let's get back to uh, Walt Disney World. <laughs> no, no, no. This is it's, we're on the art. Yeah, Andrew is our next letter here. He says, "Hi guys, long time listener of the show. I had a question regarding the iconic sign outside of the haunted mansion. I recently got a tattoo of this, and during the consultation process with my artist, I couldn't help but be blown away by the fine detailing that went into it. My question is, do you know who is responsible for the design of the sign?" I've read my fair share of mansion books, but I haven't come across the original artist. Hopefully you guys with your resources will be able to find some info. Thanks again and can't wait for the next show. Andrew. Um, I I have I also have to agree. I, I have never seen anything that attributes that piece of artwork and the sculpture that was done of that sign to anyone in particular. Um, there were certainly a handful of people working in the art department at that point. I, I assume it probably started with the graphic designer 
some it's interesting that's it's it's a weird period of time too because even like new orleans square which happened I'm trying to think that was before the haunted mansion opened. yes yes yeah so that was actually jobbed out to uh a design firm um they i guess wdi didn't have any in-house graphic designers or not enough to support that um at that time so um they actually outsourced it so i'm not sure if if that's another case where um that particular piece of art was outsourced to that firm or not so it's a good mystery to look into and we certainly shall all right andrew there you go uh hopefully the tattoo came out good though (laughs) next up is Ross Ross says, hi, guys, just listened to the vacation planning episode and the discussion of fireworks from the airplane. Great work as always. This is great. I love this because I'm sure somebody else out there had this very same experience. And this, to me, speaks to what Epcot used to be, as we used to say. Uh, One of the very first emails I sent was from a terminal in Epcot. I don't remember the exact date, but it was in the early 90s. That, of course, was at a time when AT&T was sponsoring Spaceship Earth with lots of futuristic ideas about communications, video phone booths, and all that good stuff. As a teen, then, it was hard to believe that all these technologies would come true. But in December of 2019, I was on an inbound Orlando flight for a family traditional tradition trip to WDW. It was a rare approach path that took us just east of the property just after 9 p.m., I was able to catch reflections of Earth off my side of the airport just as they were reaching a vivid fire in the sky. I started a FaceTime stream to with my mom, who was watching them off the balcony of her condo and reunion, and also to a friend who was on the patio at Rosencrown. All this in near-perfect synchronization as I was 6,000 feet above, moving at 300 miles per hour. The whole thing took my memory straight back to the first email in Communicore 30 years ago. That is what it's all about. Isn't that crazy? Actually, I, re- I remember there were two, pl- one or two places where he might have done that. And the, the one that I'm thinking of was in an AT&T section when it became Interventions. And they had a couple of machines set up where you could email people. And I remember one was using a, a operating system called Magic Cap, which I I think they had a device. AT&T had a device that used Magic Cap, but it like it never went anywhere else. It was an icon based um sort of like a de- a real desktop metaphor like the to launch the applications it looked like you were looking at a picture of a desk and there was I think like a piece of mail on the desk and when you clicked on it it opened up a window and that you could um type uh this stuff and it was kind of like a competition for the Newton. It was pen based. Uh, and you could send yourself an email or I guess, I mean, at that point, how many people had emails in the, <laughs> in the 1994? So I, I remember I sent myself probably something on AOL or you've got mail. Yeah. <laughs> like that. But yeah, it was, that was kind of a, that was a big deal then. I wonder who Ross emailed. That's a good question. And do they still have it in their spam filter? What? A, yeah. What? A, <laughs> just, it's then floating in space. <laughs> All right, we got a couple more here. Uh, this one's from Ramon. Ramon says, Hi there. First off, I want to congratulate you guys on the Maelstrom episode. Excellent as always. Small comment. You guys mentioned that you could not recall 
world showcase representations of countries in the present time uh, did we say that i guess we yeah did, yeah right? we did yeah all right uh he says that most countries we said that most countries are built to hark to bygone and historic eras of their countries while that is 99 percent true there is one exception does anybody know what it is well we had said uh the eiffel tower because that was the closest the 1800s and uh i'm trying to think there was another one that i think we had we had we had mentioned uh, oh, the chateau, uh, the one of the chateaus in um, Canada when that was built. Those were the mm-hmm. two that I identified. So what did he have? Ramon says that in the Rio del Tiempo, a massive and beautiful Mexico City mural at the end of the ride, it is a modern depiction of the capital city of Mexico. He is 100% Absolutely. right. We we talked about that in our Rio del Tiempo episode and... Dang it. Nice. Yeah, nice we, we forgot about it. <laughs> right, we did Ramon. Say- and Ramon is a, a friend from Puerto Rico. So there you go. welcome, Ramon. We're thank, glad to have you along. It's it's once again, Epcot connecting the world. Look at that. That's... All right. Last one. Uh, this is from our old pal, Reese. And Reese, uh, I've, if, if I get an answer before we finish recording, I'm just going to stop production and I'm going to give you the answer here because I don't know this. But Reese had a question. She wanted to know, and maybe... One of the the fellas here has the answer. She wanted to know um, at Fort Wilderness wh- why is it called Clementine Beach? It seemed odd to me uh, because the beach was given a name, but only one side of the dock, and like they that's true. They only named one side of the dock. Like Clementine, I believe, is to the left if you're walking towards the water. Correct. So yeah, that's where they did sandblast and you know Iron Man challenges and stuff over there. Then originally the right side was where you'd be your your swimming side over there. Um, so she's curious if we knew anything about it, Reese. I, I put a, a call out to the the Fort Wilderness experts, and if we have a an answer here before the show is over, we will uh, we'll, we'll let you know, or it'll be in the show notes if we don't have it before the recording is over. All right, that's going to close the mailbag. If you'd like to ask us a question, tell us a story, or anything in between, reach out, podcast at retrowdw.com. Uh, we read them all. We try to get as many as we can on the show, but uh, definitely appreciate all the notes and messages you send us. All right, well, it's about time we dig in here to our main topic, uh, which, as we said at the top of the uh, recording here, this is the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set adventure, which has to be in the running for one of most syllables in the name of an attraction, I'm sure. Uh, Probably affectionately referred to as the Honey, I Shrunk playground or that big playground over there with the tall grass or what's that place we were here with the dog nose. But, uh, boy, the Honey, I Shrunk the Kids that was a great franchise uh, when that is, it was happened in what the late 80s there and um, as you said JT this perfect perfect fit into the Disney MGM Studios because this was about uh, seeing what it was like to be on a set but at the same time have a great time playing and uh, it was very very innovative for his time so I know how you've done some research on this I remember uh, going there watching my sun go through it as recently as 2009 something like that uh i attempted to crawl through it in college have that on video and be going <laughs> ow 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 as i <laughs> kept bumping my head my sisters went through it in the early 90s when they were little uh but it was a, it was a great place that opening in 1990 so 
Now take us back a little bit and then we're gonna walk through this whole adventure and try yeah. not to get wet. <laughs> well, okay. So as as you said, Disney MGM, you know, that's that's where the movies were if you weren't at Universal. Uh, and and uh, this is based on the box office smash Honey I Shrunk the Kids, which opened up on June 23rd of 1989. And it in fact was like a huge box office smash that year. It grossed $132 million in the United States. And now think, this is 1989. So anything getting to $100 million in the US is a huge deal. Um, it made $22 million worldwide. And it was number five in the U.S. box office ranking. So, does two, anyone want to try to guess? Two hundred and twenty-two million. Two hundred twenty-two million, which is yeah. today equivalent to about a half a billion. So, so that, that's wow. really good. Um, anybody want to guess what the what the nineteen eighty-nine what the movies were that were more made more money than uh, Honey I Shrunk the Kids? One of them is Batman. You yep. are absolutely correct. That was the number one movie that year. That was it. I saw that at the drive-in. Well, I saw Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, and Batman was playing behind us, and I was too little. My mom said, you better not turn around and watch Batman. You better focus on Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. <laughs> <laughs> and I was so disappointed because I really wanted to see Batman. That's funny. Um, all right, so number two was Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, oh yes. Yeah. Good choice. Good choice. Right. Sean, the Sean Connery one. Then uh, Lethal Weapon 2. Okay. Another excellent film. Yep. And then uh, number four was Rain Man. What a year! Of course, I'm oh, an excellent driver. Jeez. Yeah. So, uh, so I think the funny thing is, like, so those are. I mean, not that Batman and Indiana Jones weren't, you know, kid friendly, but for a family movie to like hit that high, yeah, it's like crack that, into it like that. That's a really big deal. And uh, over the course of time, so that it's made more money than Ghostbusters Two, Back to the Future Part Two, and The Little Mermaid. <laughs> So and, and, and it spawned not only what we're talking about today, right? It spawned an additional 3D movie in the parks. It spawned Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. Honey, We Shrunk Ourselves. Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. Yeah. And Another, a television uh, show called Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, the TV show. And right. in production right now is Shrunk. Shrunk. Yeah, the Josh <laughs> Gad, Rick Moranis returns to film for the first exactly. time. Exactly. What's crazy too is that movie. I mean, short of Rick Moranis, a lot of no-name stars. So I mean, I don't, I don't think it cost him a ton to make. They probably spent more in special effects than than talent. Well, that was the that was the Eisner thing too. Was taking uh, well. So just for the background, it was written for Chevy Chase, who was doing Christmas Vacation at the time. So another eighty-nine uh, movie, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yep. Uh, he was doing Christmas Vacation, so he turned it down. Then they offered it to John Candy who said it wasn't right for him, and he actually suggested Rick Moranis. So oh. so that's how Rick Moranis ended up getting the job. Uh, but Eisner's thing was always taking TV people and filling out the cast, even if he had one big-name star, like he did with Three Men and a Baby, where he took Steve Gutenberg, who was a movie star, and paired him up with Tom Selleck and Ted Danson, who were TV stars. Uh, so the rest of the cast here were either kids or, t or really TV people. Uh, the, the wife was played, uh, Mr. Cotter's wife, Julie and welcome back. Cotter is probably what she's most fam What Marcia Strassman was most famous for other than honey. I shrunk the kids, but you know, and they pushed this so hard. I remember on Disney channel, like it was, 
I saw the making of this so many times as a kid, like the the kids getting strapped to the big broom and showing how they made that whole scene. I mean, it was like the hype level was huge, and then it was oh, like, wow. all right, maybe we're going to go see this this summer, because you didn't go to the movies every day like you, you can now. I mean, it was like a, a big deal going to the yeah. movies back then. Yeah. Yep. Well, and there was such a, you know, such production trickery behind it which is why it was part of the backstage walking tour which, which we'll talk about on a future episode um yeah that whole shrinking thing was just a, you know people and love it, shrinky movies right yeah, and, it, and it had its basis in the in the 1950s sci-fi b movies of mm. the 50 foot tall woman and the the blob you know yeah the <laughs> yeah the invisible uh man and it was all that scientific <laughs> stuff you know? right it was yeah. always the, the it was zany it was funny before, yeah before, yeah before you got to flubber and some of the later stuff that was a little more zany than anything else and it's uh, funny too you go back this is kind of like an original idea which we don't we don't have a ton of these anymore in live action on top of well, it like if right. they made this now it would right. be like a pixar film Every, or something. and everything would be cgi now so this yes. was all you know this was all done with practical set effects and as i watched it earlier today it occurred to me how small the set probably actually was where they were in the you know, when the kids are in the grass the whole time. Which right, is you just turn the camera 73 degrees to the right. And, you, you know, you move <laughs> one obstacle. Spot. Right, right. Yeah. And you just, you know, have different effects. Uh, so It's kind of like Hulk Hogan running through the, the Morocco Pavilion at all the different angles. It, yeah. <laughs> you know, in Thunder I mean, Paradise, yeah. I, I, it reminds me more of the, uh, like, the old cheap animation things where they use the same background and, like, they would just animate <laughs> yes. them running and it would be the same screen passing in it. So for those that did not see the movie... Um, it's on you know, Disney the, Plus. You can watch it. Yeah, you can watch it there. Uh, the premise is very simple. Uh, Dr. Wayne Zielinski, played by Rick Moranis, uh, has a, a shrinking machine up in his third floor attic slash workspace. He's a crazy little inventor. He's got two kids. And accidentally, uh, the machine shrinks his two kids and the two next-door neighbor kids. And um, unbeknownst to him and his wife... Uh, he finally figures out that they're actually been carried out into the backyard somewhere, um, and that's threw where. Them out. Yeah, that's right. He actually in the put trash. In the trash. He, he, came, right. he came home dejected from a conference. That's right. Uh, where his, you know, all the other scientists made fun of him. You sir are uh, not Einstein. Right, and and he comes home and he smashes up his machine, not realizing it has shrunk his kids. And his two couches in the room. Yeah. Uh, the because the couch. neighbor kid hit a baseball through the window, and that caused the machine, which didn't work before, to work properly because the yep. baseball acted as an insulator. So he smashes his machine, sweeps up all the pieces, including his the four kids in the dustbin, throws them out in the trash, and uh, they make their way out of the trash with a little help from the family dog who can see what's going on. And, uh, and then they're in the backyard. And yes. for most of the rest of the film, it's them making their way through the backyard, but at their size is like trying to traverse uh, the Amazon jungle. We're now a quarter of an inch tall and 64 feet from the house. It's the equivalent of 3.2 miles. It's a long way. Even for a man of science. And <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what's interesting? The, the, the special effects... And, and this carries over to the playground. It's not just how big things are. For instance, they're, they're, they're stuck in the trash bag and they cut it cut open or whatever, right? 
it's thick because at that size the trash bag would be thicker to you and would have a different density than it is to us because we could just poke a finger through it but imagine being a quarter inch of you know or half inch in size the density of that plastic to you and the camera of that size would be extremely different and very thick so when you're imagining what we're talking about tonight in this playground you have to remember and also when you're looking at old photos and videos things may seem out of proportion but they're not because everything seems different when you're that small so some of the blades of grass seem really th oh blades of grass are thin not when you're uh you know 12 12 millimeters tall <laughs> <laughs> and that's a, a great setup because the what they replicated in the attraction is is that backyard and right and many many of the scenes uh from the film are reproduced so uh i think the good the first thing that we need to kind of answer is like why did this exist and uh it didn't it wasn't just because somebody wanted it um disney mgm actually had a problem in that there wasn't much to do on the backlot tour between the tram tour and the walking tour so this is back in the days when you would go take the tram tour and then end up in the at the tram station and there was the loony bin which had like the interactive boxes that you could open and close that would make sounds and you could you know get something to eat but there wasn't a heck of a lot to do there particularly for young kids to like burn off some energy before you would start going into the post-production tour and start the walking portion of that so hey dad let's learn about editing yeah <laughs> <laughs> also so too i think how to i mean just like epcot had add the splash pads there was nothing to do for little kids. Yeah. Really yeah. in the park either, right? I mean, they need they needed this too. There was one ride, the great movie ride. That was it, right? That was all we had. Well, you had yeah. you had Star Tours. Um, came later. Not, not at know. first. Came later. But, yeah. Right, right, right. Well, when did Star Tours open? Uh, December 1990, I think. Okay, so the same year. Same year. Yeah. But there was, yeah, there was not a lot for little kids to do. So this, this was something that could, you know, blow some time in between you know it was at the back of the park it got you that way it yeah yeah it was, totally made sense so uh with the success of the film plans were quickly made to fill a wedge-shaped area between new york street and the studio catering company that was nothing more than cement and grass and i think that was also where the splash movie fountain was originally yes it was it was wow. right in that courtyard area um before they moved it over to uh uh where the where the muppets are yeah, it was over there for a while. But yeah, it was in that courtyard. There was a Coke machine, a big Coke bottle, too, uh, <laughs> thing right out front of it, too. So, so not a lot uh, going on That used there. to mist water down at you. Yes. Right by the splash fountain. Yep, you got it. Yeah, the big Coke bottle. That was one of the things we lost in the war. And <laughs> if anybody's <laughs> wondering where this is, if you enter... Uh, Batu from the Grand Avenue where the baseline tap house is and you walk through that tunnel as the tunnel turns to the right uh you you would just about be you, you would be you would be in the, the the southern edge of the of the um what do you call it honey of the, of, of, I'm sorry of the playground <laughs> uh the rest of the trees there's there's a lot I don't know if you guys ever noticed on an overhead view on the northern side of Batu there's oh there's that berm that they've created um, and there's a lot of space there. And what was the nothing. name of the of the quick service place right next to the right next to the playground? Oh, that's right. There was one that was. Um, well, the Studio Catering Company was the 
was Big the thing. one right back there, right? But was, yeah, wasn't there a there was a bar back there too? I think. Hold on, I got I got uh, I got Birnbaum here from '94. What do you want? '99 or '94? What would be more accurate? Start with '94. All right, let's get to the food here. Sports. I used good. to I used to have a studio catering company jacket at one point. <laughs> oh, you should have. What served did you do with that studio with that? catering company jacket? What's that? I said, what did you do with that studio uh, catering where, company Where, when it got cold, I guess. Oh, uh, goodness. Let's see. Starring Rolls Bakery, Dinosaur Curities, Backlot Express, Studio King Company. He got constantly asked, hey, where's the ketchup, man? <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't wear it to the park. You that wear would it to be, the park? No, that would be asking for trouble. <laughs> do you got any napkins, buddy? <laughs> All of that Backlot Tour uh, red and yellow signage, that was it what did. it was. That was the sign on it, and... I just remember stopping in there frequently to uh, get a soda or I think they had hot dogs. And I mean, it was very basic. And then it was frequently closed in the later years. Like it, the, 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 the chain would be up across it. And so here it is. Yep. Studio Catering Company. This is Birnbaum. Uh 99 he goes into it guest on the backlot tour come across the spot at the end of the tram ride situated next to the honey i shrunk the kids movie set adventure playground the eatery offers barbecue pork beef and chicken sandwiches turkey and cheese sandwiches and snacks there's a separate line for cones sundaes and shakes made with chocolate vanilla soft serve ice cream beer is available at a nearby stand inexpensive s for snack Oh, there you go. There you go. My, my, now, my 95 book says it's just behind the loony bin. They changed the uh, the wording. Oh. oh. Well, you know, they got to make correct adjustments. Here. Yeah, I'm Beer. thinking by 99, the loony bin was probably wiped out. So I, I've got something Good interesting point. that's because that's the entrance to Batu, couldn't they have made that the entrance to Toy Story Land and used the large things that were there and re- put. Batu, where Toy Story Land is, and Toy Story Land, where Batu is. Just a thought. I mean, potato, potato, sure. Yeah, sure. because really, what what is Toy Story Land now? To, it's, to, yeah. You've been shrunk down, you know? To, to be honest, I'm surprised they never changed it to A Bug's Life, just to be current with. All right, so uh, Imagineering show producer Michael McGivney, production designer Shannon Halloway, and Philip Vaughn designed the playground based on sketches done by concept artist Richard Vaughn. And their goal was to create an interactive play experience for kids, which was a first for Disney because they had not considered playgrounds as a feature that was needed in their theme parks up to that point. So this is the first kind of large scale playground ever in a Disney park. Um, It was made to resemble a working set from Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and featured a lot of situations that were lifted directly from the film. So that way, when you were in there, you would actually feel like you were in the movie. So um, we said that the movie opened on June 1st, I'm sorry, June 23rd, 1989. The Honey, I Shrunk the Kids movie set Adventure opened on December 17th, 1990. So just a little over a year and they had that sucker in there. And I I remember going there, I think in, so, so, so it wasn't under construction in April when it opened, but I'd say by the fall or January of like 1990, it was already corned off and like construction had started. So they got on that remarkably quickly. Um, and uh, it was an immediate success when it opened. It had long lines and people were all over there. So it was a, it was quite a big deal. Um, and another innovative thing 
uh, this is the first time I ever saw it, and it was the first time I, I believe it was used in a Disney park, is the floors were covered with a, what was then a new product called Safe Deck. Oh, this stuff is, is really cool. <laughs> the springy rubber ground covering. It was very cool. It was that it was used completely over innovative. Ro- was that used over at Rollies as well, right? The uh, the the Epcot uh, water fountain. Did that have it? it? Eventually, you started to see this product rolled out almost everywhere yeah. where there were like kids where kids could fall down. <laughs> but up until that point, playgrounds were you know either mulch, <laughs> cement, mulch, or or gravel. <laughs> we we had a new playground put in our elementary school when I, and I was in third grade. And uh, it was like shredded radial tires, and you hoped that they had removed all of the steel belted radial. We have some of those in our town too. Yep. Oh my gosh! Now yeah. the rubber mulch, you guys know this that the the there's fall rating on playgrounds, and I don't know what it is off the top of my what head, but that? like if you had like a blacktop off of monkey bars and you fell on your arm, you could yeah. fall from like say three feet and not break your arm. Mulch raises the height by another foot or something then rubber flooring is even more cushiony but that that rubber stuff is more prevalent i mean it's at the playground right next to my house here it's just kind of but i do remember it because it was brown it looked like dirt Mm -hmm. it was all brown and it was you know kind of spongy kind of squishy but it was just like this weird like weird feeling on your feet at the time you you knew right when you crossed did it have a turnstile speaking of turnstiles and it did not have a turnstile i don't know why i recall you know like going into the entrance there i recall like a gate or something there there was a very thin kind of entrance that you would walk into yeah and then i remember it was like boom you're like you stepped onto that rubber it was like a change in the floor type thing yeah um, let's see. So, oh, you know, we always talk about, or I shouldn't say we, but many people discuss shade in children's areas. And what's, I think, interesting is that the area was actually very well shaded uh, in <laughs> 1990. Um, there were 45 30-foot-tall grass stalks, and each one of these grass stalks supported between two to three blades of grass that were between 25 and 28 feet long and four foot wide. Uh, and they each weighed about 500 pounds. And that would, you know, sort of cast shadows and protect you from the sun. And then just a couple of years later, I think probably by like 94, 95, they actually added fabric triangles like way up high uh, on the top of the blades or you couldn't even really see them. So that way, uh, larger areas even than that could be shaded. Um, the project actually used more steel than the Eiffel Tower and the Statue of Liberty combined. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Really? Yeah. That more, is in, that is more, incredible. Wait, more steel than them combined? The Eiffel combined. Tower and the Statue of Liberty. Wait yes. a minute. Wait, honey, I, 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 gets I got a hard, I got a hard time believing this fact. You know, I, I was just in the Las Vegas Eiffel Tower, which is half the size of the real one, so I have a very difficult time believing that. Yeah. Maybe the Eiffel Tower is made out of iron. Maybe it's a trick That's, question. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I don't know. I don't know. That was in the Disney publication. So. That seems uh, just... I know. I mind-boggling, right? What was it? The well, Eiffel Tower realize. And, the, and the Statue of Liberty? Yeah. So yeah. Uh, so the, the stocks were tested in a wind tunnel at Caltech. So that way they, they knew it could withstand 80 mile per hour winds. Because the entire thing also needed to be hurricane proof, right? That's um, insane. Yeah. Although it was um, kind of, you know, jimmied in there between buildings, but I suppose. You don't want a giant, you know, a two-ton stock of grass falling on somebody. That's true. 
That's never a good thing. No, no. Uh, the whole playground was, was designed for ages 2 to 10, but it was durable enough that parents could join their children. And, and they really hoped that instead of just, like, you know, sitting back and having a beer, that the parents would actually go with the kids into it. Or have um, the beer and then go do it with the kids. Right. <laughs> um, you know, that's probably back in the area where if you tried to walk in with a drink, they wouldn't let you. Well, you got to finish so, it quickly. That's all. That's right. Why. Yeah. Cool. That's a feature. Yeah. Not a, yeah. Uh, although there were actually, as as you mentioned, there were many areas that were too small for adults to mm-hmm. fit into. <laughs> so uh, the, the playset was kind of broken up into eight major areas. So uh, the first one was for junior adventurers. So this was a section that was designed specifically for kids age two to five. It had a root maze, a leaf waterfall. So if you remember the leaf waterfall, it was like this big leaf. And then about halfway down, there was kind of like a terrace. And then there was just this very thin sheet of water that would would fall down probably about, oh, 20, 15, 20 feet long. And then you could kind of run your hand. Hold on. How, hold on. I'm, I'm, I'm hearing something. Are we? Yeah, we are. We are officially behind the waterfall. <laughs> Do you hear that? Oh yeah. Well, we're, there's we're definitely a, there. We are, we are, yeah. we've made it to the Honey I Shrunk the Kids playground. That is a you know that is a that is a, a fair point because uh, it used a lot of the same music, including that song "Behind the Waterfall." Over. And over and for over background again. music that appeared in wonders of life and in uh tomorrowland it's it's funny how new age music really kind of ruled the roost like ray lynch and those guys must have made yes. a boatload of money from that just playing all day long in I these was, spaces i was gonna say new age music in that late 80s early 90s was just all the rage I mean, it, it was, was just, uh, it was huge. It was the era of Yanni, Yanni, and, all, Yanni, Yanni and oh my gosh, and Zamfir and his pan, pan flute. flute. <laughs> oh, my goodness! <laughs> and you, and you came, and you came later, right? Um, you had uh, all sorts of. We'll play a little sampling here. Yeah. What was Yanni? Yanni had a famous one, and then remember he on PBS the the Acropolis. He had the. Uh, um, he did a live show. He did the live show at the Acropolis live show. Was he not married to uh, Deidre Hall from, uh, oh, well, I believe our, that's our, correct. Our House, right? Wasn't the original, the, the primetime series she was on with Wilford Brimley, I think was called Our House. Oh, that's right. And uh, she was on Days of Our Lives. Days of Our Lives. She's, she might still be on. Is Days of Our Lives still on? If it is, she might still be on it. Because <laughs> she was like the uh, Susan Lucci of Days of Our Lives. So. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay, so you leaf waterfall. You oh. kids at home are googling all of those names right now. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there was also a small spider web climber, which is interesting. You look back at photos, and it starts out uh, just as like the big, sort of larger white lines that you walked on, and then over time, you see that like, they added smaller netting all around it because I guess kids must have fallen through the holes at some point, like <laughs> legs and whatnot. Um, oh, if you were a fan of the stepping tones 
over and journey to imagination. Uh, they also had some some stepping tones uh, here too. So except they were done up as fern sprouts. So there was kind of like this, oh, sort of a staircase, if you will, where it sort of ascended, and you could step on them, and they would make little bloopy noises as you walked up it. That was like uh, almost like mini stumps in a way. Yeah, exactly. That that's a very good way to to put it. Uh, and then there were also, there was like a small red leaf slide. So it looked like there was a small, and this is really was made for little, little kids. Uh, perfect, perfect size for them. The, um, the second area was called building blocks and it had two, um, giant Lego bricks. The largest one was 16 foot tall, uh, and a 50 foot, 52 foot long garden hose that would intermittently spit water from a section of the hose that was repaired with tape. Um, now, this uh, sort of brings two sections of the movie uh, to life. Uh, one is where I, I believe, Brian, are they hiding from the scorpion when they crawl well, into the Lego yeah, bricks? They, they two... sleep there too, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's the, that, that, but the, uh, I, I'm assuming the movie was set in California. That's, that's, I, I never picked up exactly where they were supposed to be. I, so not being a Californian, I don't know, are, are scorpions just running all over the place in California? Because, <laughs> you know, you end up with a, uh, a, a stop motion battle between uh, the scorpion and their ant friend. They make a friend who's an ant, whose name is Auntie. Auntie, and, yeah. Very <laughs> imaginative. And the ant, and the ant, like the ant, goes to fight the scorpion, and you're like, this, this ant's got no, no, no chance. Come on, hurry! You get killed. We gotta do something. He's just a baby. We gotta help him. And the next thing you know is the. You know, Bambi's mother scene with the ant. You know, Kids, he sticks him with the stinger. The, the the ant the the ant gives its life for to save the kids. Um, Isn't there in one of the like Walt Disney uh, like nature shows a fight between a scorpion and an ant? I I'm, I'm I don't have any. Nature yeah, shows I don't know if here, that was so. a callback. And Brian, I I will correct you. It wasn't a stop motion fight. It was oh, actually it? a go motion fight. It was okay. actually a technique that was uh, started, I think, during the Empire Strikes Back and oh. perfected on Howard the Duck, where okay. when they would shoot stop motion, they would actually have a, a little armature on the like the leg or whatever that was digitally controlled. Okay. And they would move like the limb just slightly. So that way just it was blurred. Okay. Um, so it was blurred just a smidge when the, when the still photo was taken. So when things would move around, it looked more natural because if you did, you know, in traditional stop motion, there was never any blur when something moved quickly. So it, it is a really nice sequence. It looks fantastic still today. It, um, it does, although I would suggest that you watch it again in today's high <laughs> definition. It true. might not look as good as you remember. Okay. Because, um, I mean, I looked at it, I watched it, and I'm like, this looks very Godzilla, you know, <laughs> like in terms of the, you know, the, the jerky motions of the... Right. I mean, they, they're, they're sc it's scary. And there's uh, kids in it that are shrunk. There's a Lego. There's a lot yeah, going on in that lot, scene. There is a lot going on, and it's uh, it must have been. 
there's quite a know. discussion too about how people can't handle the scene and how that like you know they fell in love with auntie and it was so depressing part of their childhood <laughs> and stuff um oh Hurt. No. He saved my life. He's gonna be okay. So how I, I I picked up on one of the things too. I was looking and um, we had an earlier discussion today on you know what the brick was and was it Lego or not and. I found some video and there was they never used the words Lego on the on the studs on the brick, which is interesting. Yeah, so, well, they probably didn't have the rights for that. No, right? no, so it was they, uh, the patent hadn't expired yet. Besides, that's uh, that's their logo. So oh, okay, yeah, but uh, but you know you could crawl into that and that was cool because the you know that's what the kids did, right? Right, they, right. They slept in the Lego brick in the right in the back of it. Exactly. Um, um, now getting back to the to the hose so water would squirt out of the side of it uh and it would stay as sort of a stream a solid stream kind of like the leaping fountains outside the the imagination pavilion at epcot and then um, because they were so well controlled they would hit drains in specific locations on the ground and then those drains actually had like little fountains in them that would create a splash around the impact point so that was part was so brilliant they were so targeted done so well yeah, and so it was very reminiscent of the scene in the movie where they're dragging around the garden hose and the droplets of water are hitting and they're like, in the movie, they're shooting up like, like four or five balloons. feet high, <laughs> like very dangerous, but it gave you definitely gave you that feeling. And you could kind of bypass that section if you didn't want to get wet, but like a lot of times kids would, would run around in there and get a little wet too. So yeah. good, good fun on a hot day. Um, the third section was the Mushroom Climber. So th this was three levels of interconnected tunnels uh, with a spiral staircase. And if you went up to the top, um, you could there were kind of windows cut through the sides so you could look over the play area from there. And kind of the big feature is if you made it all the way top, it's like you could encounter the nose of Cork the dog, which was hanging over there. And if you walked up to it, you could hear him sniff. So he'd go very loudly and in the early days he would intermittently sneeze on you yes. and spray out uh, you know a mist on you uh at, at least for the first couple of years they did that because that was a a big feature i guess in the movie as well because they used that also in the honey i shrunk the audience movie right right as a gag right so and it's so, was it a, was so great because no you didn't expect it you know people would go up there and you're like, oh, here's the dog's nose, and all of a sudden, shoo! Yeah, and it doesn't it's matter. Funny. Just the thought of being sneezed on—it doesn't. You know, it's water, but you're still completely grossed out. Right? Yeah, you're just not. And and there were enormous mushrooms up there. Oh yeah. Like again, like 20, 30 foot tall. Um, there were some on the side that you could get into. There was kind of a neat photo spot where, as if you were, the stalk was off of it, and you could get into it. So it was really, really nicely done, and the tunnels. Uh, those are the ones that tended to be kind of tight. Uh, and there, there were some lights inside, but it was, that was definitely like more of a kid sized thing to, uh, to get through. It's funny um, when you, when you look at all these pictures and you, you know, dig into this, 
you can tell where the parents stopped because the parents weren't giving their kid a camera to take it up and take a picture of cork. I mean, they just it just wasn't going to happen. So, like, not many parents made it up there to take a photo up there. Yeah, which is funny. It wasn't really that high. It was a pretty simple staircase on, mm. on that one to get up to. But they're you know, definitely just just, just yeah. go. Just go. Just I'm like, sit I here. don't want to see yeah. that. Yeah. Now, did they ever have a map? Of everything, so you knew where stuff was. I was looking for one and I couldn't find anything. It's funny, you know. One of the things as I was doing this is like, I was thinking, I I just need to draw out a map for myself to try to orient where everything was. So maybe that's something that'll work on that we can share. Jason to make that, yeah, a little fun map of the (laughs) of the playground. (laughs) That's our next giveaway. We'll hide all of ourselves in. Shh, don't tell. That would actually, I actually, I advocate for that. I think that would be a fun item for people. Um, okay, so uh, the Codex slide. This is, I think, one of the most photographed. Oh yeah. Sections on here. So it was a 15 foot long, nine foot high roll of Kodak Gold 100 film. Uh, if you went inside of it, there was an echo chamber. And then it looked like there was a hole punched through from the inside and, and kids could, or adults, because I did, you could crawl out of it. And then part of the film, if you remember the way film used to be, there was kind of like the film when you first got it, the leader would stick out. So you could put it in your 35, mil, 35 millimeter camera and forward it. Um, that unspooled film uh, acts as a slide. And it was, they did a great job matching that sort of weird brown green color yeah of exposed film people people don't realize that it exposed film has that that color to it and it's not just black or invisible or whatever but yeah i don't know how many people caught on but when i remember when i saw it for the first time i was like that's it and i'm wondering why they chose coda color gold 100 i mean 400 was the big film that's what you, you always used 400 100 was for daylight um and why coda yeah i i don't know brian you, yeah. you, you clicked your mouth there you might have a Thought. I I don't um, okay. you know it just it, 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 you know they obviously they picked a choice you know yeah I mean I can at the time I can tell you you know the Kodak Gold the 100 was probably I, the most normal and, and I and I think the gold was a was a late 80s branding wasn't it like introducing Kodak Color Gold 100 I see your true Kodakolor Gold 100 gives you the most accurate colors, the truest colors of any print film. So don't be afraid to let them show. A new Kodakolor Gold. Yes, it, it it did it did come later on. I, I'm just interested in why 100 because that's a, that's a that's a uh, um, a fast film designed for extreme yeah. daylight. You would never it, use it inside. It's an so. it's an outdoor film, you know. The four hundred was for indoors if you're shooting attractions. The hundred was for outdoors, and then you'd you know you'd get the two hundred if you wanted to sort of split the difference the, in right, the middle. Right. Um, but yeah, and yeah, one hundred was the, definitely way cheaper than the four hundred. Yeah. Oh, that, absolutely. Yeah. That gold branding came out in like '86, so it was like it was their product of the moment. Was they were slapping gold on things, and um. So it's it's that that makes sense in the 1989 attraction that they would be still pimping their 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 gold film, which came yeah. after their disc film. And they were uh, they were still a sponsor at that point, so they were a major sponsor. 
Yeah. Uh, because they not only did, you know, they, they from from '82 on, uh, they not just did the Imagination Pavilion, but the, all the photography in the parks, all the photo shops, all the films sold. I mean, Kodak was all over all four of those parks until they went bankrupt in 2012. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and for those of you who are real super nerds, the slides were made from polyutherane. If you, if you wondered about that um, God, we got all right that taken care of yeah section five was a three-story high is the spider web is a three-story high double helix spiral of 11 play plan pens connected by cargo nets so you would find that eventually they put up a sign saying which way the entrance was because at first they didn't i think people were confused like which was the entrance and which was the exit but you you would literally you know do a net climb up around this uh stock of something <laughs> and back down again and it was just it was just really just a spiral up and then a spiral back down again but uh that was a really big deal at that point um that was that my was... least favorite part i thought it was so cheesy that they thought we should think that's a spider web they had all this great <laughs> theming and then you're like this is like a sea world cargo net it's not that, that you know that one reminded yeah. me of uh, brian it's um sesame place right has a yeah, very sesame. big but yeah, that's really place large. Was, so when Sesame Place originally opened, there were no rides at all. Like right. everything was kinetic. Um, so it was, you know, ball pits and uh, big, big giant rope lands to climb through, all of which they still have. Uh, but now there's a bunch of, <laughs> bunch of rides there, too. Um, so, yeah, so that, that that is what it reminds me. And smaller scale Chuck E. Cheese, those kind of places had those like nets you would climb up on the side. And that's with this spider web that JT doesn't buy. Or your common common rope cat condo that you can buy on Amazon today. Yeah. 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 Now I now I don't know if this was common a common feature of uh, of other theme parks or other places that had playgrounds at that time or if it was new cuz I, I think that was the first place that I experienced it, but as the years have gone on, uh, I think every you know, major theme park with a kids play area has something like that. Um, Captain Kids World at SeaWorld, you know, they had some ropes that you could climb, kind of like a big net, but nothing uh, of this fashion. Yeah, I feel like our SeaWorld right by us here had one. I don't know if it was, I could be wrong, but the, the old Clyde and Seymour play area. that the, Yeah. You're they had that SeaWorld no had had hotel, Clyde and Seymour play area. I'm, I wish I was there to play in it. Do you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Big fan of Clyde and Seymour. They are. They are some fine sea lions. Aren't They're still they? there. <laughs> they never die. They still look. They still they look, look as they good look as great. they used to. Yep. <laughs> the Charo and those those two sea lions. They're like somehow <laughs> managed to look fantastic despite their age. Uh, all right. Hey, here's here's one that I think everybody got their picture with. So as we were talking about, Auntie the Ant. He was the bold hero who who died for our sins. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pour one out for Auntie. Yeah, that's right. Uh, oh, so you, there was a full scale Auntie there with sort of this grass harness and the sled, just like in the movie. And, and they actually uh, encouraged you to climb on it, which is one of the few things I think at Disney. Of course, they kind of encourage you to climb on everything here, but... Uh, it's very rare that you get to climb on a character and not have a cast member yell at you to get off of it. <laughs> so that was, that was a, a great spot for photos, except it was usually so swamped. with It was hard to get a picture of yourself 
or your loved one with it because it seems like there was always just like 20 people trying to climb on it all at the <laughs> right. same time right some other kid yeah yeah, um, yeah they uh that was the other thing with that too it was so cool because you just came from seeing the movie and then you go and you're like oh my gosh that it seven eight years old they, they pulled this right from the movie set they had to because i'm at hollywood studios so you thought you were on a movie prop pretty much yeah it was I, again this whole thing is really built around the the wish fulfillment of putting you in the film and it it does spectacularly well it, like in all of these sections um, and right behind Auntie was a giant oatmeal cream cookie, which I think that's what they fed the ant, right, in order to make friends with it. Well, they did. They, yeah, that was they were they were eating it too. Um, so Nick's yeah, cookie. It was, it was Nick's. It was Nick's breakfast, and he was hiding it from Wayne Zielinski before he left for the science convention, and uh, he didn't finish it, and so it went in the trash. And I've died and gone to heaven. It's as big as a house. I saw it first. It's mine. I got dibs on the cream filling. Now, the other thing, too, he uh, he had that kid, he let the kid cut the grass, and the kid had to pay him to cut the grass a box of cookies, and that's yeah. the box of cookies, the oatmeal cream pies. So, and the reason the kid oh, wanted to cut hmm. the grass was because he has the, of course, remote Wayne Zielinski designed this remote control <laughs> snapper or snap-on uh, mower, and naturally... It's got a solar panel and it's got a bunch of whirly gigs and stuff on it. It looks like Rolly Crump designed it. So, <laughs> uh, and so, and, that, and that's another tension point of the movie is when the kids mowing the lawn while the shrunken children are still in the lawn and the parents realize it and they're like, "Stop! Stop!" <laughs> and there's this tense moment where they, have, you know, the, the youngest one almost gets sucked up into the mower and. But they managed to survive to make two sequels and a theme park attraction. <laughs> Silly uh, Tommy cutting the grass. Oh, that kid. Uh, all right. So section seven, I think this was another favorite, was the giant Cheerio cereal. So oh, yeah. from the very they had the these movie. Cheerios. They're about nine feet in diameter. They could you could crawl on and into as a reference to the scene of the movie where the kids fall into the cereal bowl. Um, there was oh, probably four or five of them, and they were propped up in different sections. But I mean, the biggest one was horizontal, and you could crawl into it and then kind of stick your body out, so you looked exactly like the kid in the movie. Um, those were made out of dense foam with a euthane covering. So again, kind of soft. You could crawl on them. Although, as as we'll find out shortly, it's like they didn't necessarily have a, a long lifespan uh, with all the kids crawling on it made out of those materials. Uh, and and then the last section, which if you're either young or young at heart, you probably remember, was the giant root slide. And mm-hmm. so you would crawl up to this the top of this this root uh section and there were four slides and you could kind of pick which one you wanted to go on they were kind of arranged in a semicircle as you got to the top so uh you could pick you know left right and there's it's funny it's like i would see pictures all the time i don't know why but every so often they would close off one of the slides and then so there was like a piece of brown plywood that they would put over the entrance and the exit to it (laughs) and it was it was perfectly cut and everything to the shape so yeah (laughs) 
which I guess if they need to close the slide, that's that's how you do that. But you know, kids would just slide like crazy, and and that area also had a giant paperclip. That was kind of the thing that was well known about that. So um, one of the things that I never really thought about, because uh, I I, I kind of stopped going to the parks around 2000, but I never realized until I saw some photos going through that they actually made changes to the movie set adventure over time, um, which I had kind of missed out on. So uh, it looks like the Cheerios were removed about 1999, uh, probably because I can remember 97, 98, it's like they had started to tear and you could, the soft covering was going away and you could kind of see the foam underneath them. So I guess they just decided to bag it and get rid of the Cheerios altogether. And so they took them out and they put like a 40 foot tall bee kind of on top of the dirt behind it uh, at that point. Uh, and then there were some big changes that happened because Disney signed a licensing deal with Hasbro uh, on September 20th, 2000, which included the licensing of Disney film and television characters and what they call certain theme park features. Uh, anyways, what this really means is that Hasbro became the official toy and game company at Walt Disney World, Disneyland, and Disneyland Paris. So, sometime, possibly in 2001, the Lego bricks were removed and they were replaced by a part of a big round tinker toy and a canister of Play-Doh. Um, and then two light bright pegs were added into the play area, along with a super soaker water gun over by the garden hose so i i don't know if it was a as todd said it's like the i think lego bricks were licensed at some point or you probably have to pay a licensing fee so i don't know if lego found out and they got mad or they're just like hey hasbro we're gonna do you a solid and put some of your toys in here and they opened up the once upon a toy um all hasbro shop over at Lake Bonavista, uh, at you know downtown Disney, um, I think 2002 they did that. Um, so you know Hasbro became a huge fixture of the parks, and that's when they started making like the Haunted Mansion Clue and all the board games, and they went crazy with Hasbro. So uh, so all of a sudden we got a lot of Hasbro in there. Um, the last kind of change was uh, as Brian alluded to in January of 2012, Kodak filed for bankruptcy protection. Uh, for some reason in the era of the digital camera, nobody wanted to buy film anymore. Uh, and Kodak somehow didn't anticipate that. Uh, so, <laughs> didn't see uh, this one coming. Yeah, so December 31st of 2012, the sponsorship deal with Disney ended. And by January of 2014, the Kodak branding was removed from the film canister slide. It's, it's funny, they didn't try to replace it with anything. It literally just became, like, black blank. Uh, they didn't make a, a fake-looking thing or anything. At they that just, point, like, people didn't even know what the heck they were sliding down. The kids didn't know what film was. That <laughs> is a fair point. <laughs> you know? Like, you weren't buying it anywhere. So. Right. It, it wasn't the common item that it was when that was put together. Uh, uh, the, the play area stayed open until April 2nd of 2016. Uh, and at that point, it was uh, wiped out to become uh, part of Galaxy's Edge, just as, uh, 
as Todd mentioned, but for those those years between uh, between 1990 and uh, 2016, it was a heck of a lot of fun uh, for families and and kids and even some adults. Uh, it was always busy. Uh, I know I, I even as a you know an adult I would go in there and and do stuff because it was it was well done, you know, good themed, really made you feel like you were in the film, uh, and I, I think it was like even even after they changed the the tone of the walking tour, and so that way you didn't have to like they broke it up so you could come and go as you needed to. It w- it was still a great place for kids to go and you know burn off some energy before they. They went off and did stuff uh, for the rest of the day there. I liked it. It was a it was a, it was a lot of fun. I mean, I was older, you know, when it opened. Let's see, I was sixteen, I think, when it when it opened. So it wasn't. I was trying to cram my body through it then. I was probably. I think when I first went, I was like, oh, I'm too big for this. But later on, like I said, I tried to squeeze through. <laughs> I didn't see it until I was twenty-two. Something like that, at which point I was not really, I mean, you know, I, we used to cut through there to get to s- some other part of the park. I, that's what I remember. Is, and that's why I remember that snack bar was there because it was like, oh, we'll just go over here so we can walk around it. And, that's true. You could you could kind of cut by the entrance and actually come out of through a, uh, a movie theater marquee onto New York street after that was opened up for you to walk through. Right. So that was a, that was a cut through point to get between New York street and then that sack bar. Yeah. So I, 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 you know, I'm the one here that didn't really spend much time in there other than saying, Oh, look, it's like, there's a big Cheerio. There's a big Kodak film. <laughs> but JT, you said you were seven. Would you, was that correct? Uh, yeah, it might've been eight. Yeah. Okay. So you probably crawled all over that thing. Oh yeah, that was that was great because it was you just had freedom, and like I said, it was like a movie scene. I mean, it was awesome back there, and I, I remember doing all the stuff, the the tunnels and the all, everything. I mean, it was a it was a big deal, and it, I mean, I would go back frequently just to see it again, you know, in like later years, like middle school and high school and beyond. But yeah, it was. I, I just recall the whole, like, we had to wait in line. Like there was a line to get into it. Like it was full spring break. And it was hot and, and, and all that. And then you'd get in there and finally, I just remember being, these pictures brought back memories of how crowded it felt and just people everywhere and adults in the way. And just like, just I just want to play it. Get out of my way. You know? Yeah, I, I do remember being really warm and, and uh, the fans in the corner going and trying to, you know, trying to keep, because it was, it did get, it did get crowded in there. And um I'm trying to remember if the exit and the entrance were next to each other. Did they regulate the number of people in there? Yeah, I remember it was. I've seen waiting signs. How many minutes? Maybe wait that's to get in. what Clipboard Charlie was doing. Oh, he was watching who's mystery clipboard in. Yeah. man that you found in two videos two years apart, wearing the same outfit. His job is just to watch how many goes in and tell how many to come in. Yeah, so. there was a, there was definitely a cast member posted at the entrance. And so you're right. Someone must have been in there counting people coming in and coming out, so that way it would hit whatever the capacity was that it right. was uh, intended to be. But I mean, the kids uh, could spend a good 30, 40, 50 minutes in there if they wanted to. Oh yeah, nobody timed you. You could do yeah. as long as you wanted to. But yeah, it was like I remember standing. It was like a corrugated like metal wall mm-hmm. you stood by with like chain link fence. Just very. I mean, all that stuff, that outdoorsy type attractions. The studios all seemed very just. 
I don't want to say thrown together, but it just seemed like not. <laughs> well, that it was. Night. You were backstage. It didn't yeah, have to be perfect. Right. You know, supposed to look like a back lot. Right. Yeah. One yeah. of the walls was the back side of the. Fences yeah, the one lot. of the walls was the back side of the New York Street. Right. You know, you had mm-hmm. that had that in there. Yeah, yeah and that's it is an interesting part of it too that the the main entrance was like which was that I mean that Streets of America all of it but which street was that actually it was on was there it was it, it was it was um it was on one of the, the the main street that was coming down there um it was on that. New York Street yeah, that was, New, yeah, York street. New York Street yeah okay I just, it's just crazy because like, if you didn't know I mean it almost just looked like a, a, a movie theater or something you're walking right. into until you kind of realize the grass is protruding above but then it are we going to dress the marquee with the wrong name we should and by the so way you the didn't end. have to enter through the marquee either you could go through you could go through new york street or you could go around it and well oh. originally when you came off the back lot trams drop when new york street was not open to foot traffic you would you would come in from the studio catering company side to in order to come in and get out and then eventually when they opened it up uh, that's when they opened up that entrance and exit also through the theater as a as a pass through so so the outside of it it was like a you know if you'd change the movie titles like that type of marquee and it was the permanent i assume but they they had a different name it, it said honey i shrunk the kids play set adventure which we can't find any signs that actually say that anywhere else yeah which, the original the, in the park brochures it all says movie set adventure all of the uh materials for it the promotional stuff all says movie set adventure so it's someone made a mistake and nobody caught it (laughs) for years and years and years yeah i'm looking to see if there's if there's any other thought remnants like where you could go walk like i said other than walking through batu uh in the pathway when you're walking in from grand avenue past the tap house it curves and that's you're in it you're you're where it was but there's no other there's no like little wall left you know what i mean like there's no remnant of anything oh Um, no that that section was flattened flattened yeah during construction yep that's what i'm looking i'm looking at some of the history of the uh 2017 it's just yeah just they even kept to the whole uh, movie thing at the end. They got the little snapper thing, the the movie ender thing, or whatever. What are those things called? The yeah, movie clapper. I think that's the movie. Right. It's, yeah. That's a wrap. Thanks for playing. <laughs> I'm trying to remember if that was there at first, or if they needed to like reinforce. This is the entrance. This is the exit. Because yeah, and know. I've seen two entrance signs. I've seen one of the red with the yellow letters and the black diagonal lines on it like the uh, the trams looked like and then i've seen kind of like a blue one that, that you know had, that had a minute wait time and all that stuff so oh, two okay. different versions of signs on it yeah yeah i think they i think they those are probably sort of in the same area but uh, uh there's kind of like this weird curved pole <laughs> that it was all attached to yeah um, but you know hey it worked that's the that's the important thing now how before before that was there, I'm racking my brain when, when they built that. You used to originally get off the tram at a slightly different location. You'd walk through the tank. That courtyard there where the commissary came out, where just Pixar, what used to be Pixar plays, that wasn't, if I recall, that was you, you didn't even go back there, right? No. That was all closed off. So this that whole, was, no, they were production areas. They were. 
Well, yeah. no, this is the, the the great movie ride is to the right. I'm just looking at the overview. I'm trying to think what was I almost needed an opening day map. So, yeah. So originally when you walked up to the great movie ride, that was completely shut off to the left hand side of it. Right. And, and so you could not go back in between there. Um, and that would, um, cause that was cut off. And at one point the, um, the tram tour would actually kind of take you a, a little bit into that area and then back over again. Yeah. What I'm looking at here in this original map, it looks like I'll, I'll paste it into our, into our chat. It looks like the spot was there, but it, I mean, empty according to this thing. It's just the bathrooms were there. It looks like. <laughs> the chill room. No, there's, you know, I think we actually have either a photo or two or uh, film or video. Maybe I have it from, from when I went on opening day. And um, you originally when you would walk out back there, um, you know, I think they had some of the um, two of the red cars there or maybe one of the red cars originally. Mm, but yes. you could see the backside of the. Uh, of the facade from New York street and is just literally that red facade. There wasn't much to do back there. Right. Except kind of, you know, maybe walk around to those, to those restrooms. Uh, cause you would come off of the back lot tour, dump into the loony bin. And then your, um, you would pick up the, um, the walking tour really on the, on the other side of that. Um, you would actually walk straight under uh, a um, uh, an overhang over to where the uh, water tank was, and then from there go into this start the special effects tour, and then walk through the um, through the uh, productions, uh, you know the the sound stages and stuff. So it was a all of the action kind of took place on I guess the north end. And this sort of courtyard area was down in the south end. So there, there wasn't much reason to be down there until they finally opened up New York Street and let you walk around. But that that was quite a bit of time. Yeah, originally the tram would actually take you down to the end of of New York Street where the large, um, large fake buildings were. Hang a left and then take you down to where the Monaghan's uh, garage facade used to be. Right, which was actually not far down from the the right side of the Chinese theater, and that's where the Ditmobile was. And then it yes. would take you back again uh, down an alley uh, over to a side street, and then drop you off um, for the rest of the back lot tour. So yeah, you could you could neither walk that way immediately to the left of the Chinese theater, nor towards the right of the Chinese theater which would take you down to where Pixar place was. It well, was, was, a, hot, the, it was uh, a hot set, you know, you can't. Yeah, <laughs> as well. It was a, it was a, it was a half day park. <laughs> it's and, just amazing and, how that park and, has changed. And we loved it for what it was and, yeah. and continue to love it for, for what it is now. Cobb salads for everyone. <laughs> well, how I appreciate you taking us back in time here to the, uh, to the playground. I know it was a, I have fond memories of, uh, watching my own son so this is the first time that i've actually been able to talk about an attraction that's gone i think that my son has been on so that makes me feel old <laughs> so <laughs> oh man so 
people are probably wondering, well, why, what, you know, it's not 25 years gone. Isn't that your rule? But, yeah, it's well, true. It doesn't but have it, to be gone for 25 right. years. It, it was, just has to be 25 years old. So Right. It's we'll 30, be doing 30. one on Journey into Imagination with Figment in, what, a couple of years, right? A couple, couple of years, I think. A couple yeah, years. We're, we're almost going, at 25 almost years. There. <laughs> <laughs> so so but it's hard. going on 19 now, so yeah. six more years. It's hard to believe that the studios is, what, 30, 33 years old this year, right? Yeah. It is. Yeah. And actually what's fascinating is go- going through, if you, if you want to see how uh, video and photography technology has changed, this is actually a great attraction because you can mm. go back to YouTube videos from 1990 and then slowly you watch the quality get better and better and better, better yeah, yeah. Of, of, the, of the video as you go forward in time. And by the time you get to like 2016, you know, people are going in with, you know, 2K and 4K cameras right, yeah, and like getting every, every Mc, detail. Pops McFarkle was still using the VHSC, uh, you know, carry, shoulder carry yeah. bag in, in 2000, my understanding. So it's neat. It's neat because this, this is one of those attractions like the Great Movie Ride that you know died in the fully digital era and so there's pretty decent documentation uh of it at least in its second form with the, well the and it was it. also well, there's two things the videotape era where as we talked about guys would just fill tapes up with here's two hours of video of us at hollywood studios for the day which was brutal to watch after the fact you know you just Here's Timmy standing in line for nine minutes fidgeting and just that's it. That's the whole you're fast forwarding through it. Uh, but playing in the playground, you they would just take you know an hour of video of it and, and they it survives. Um, I wonder now how much of that, you know, it's something I think about. So much of these phone videos that people take of their kids or of fireworks at the parks or every other stupid thing, concerts. Like, are they storing these somewhere? Are they keeping them? Like, uh, is it? Uh, you're, you're, Brian, I've thought about this too. You're right. And, and what's the problem is, is that because there is no physical media, if you don't upload it, there might be an awesome video out there of the wave machine of, of you know, 50 years from now, what they're looking for. But it's on somebody's cloud that they don't I, have access and it's been archived into an iron mountain. I, mean, I, I know that I've, I think the hard drive that has my first six years of iPhoto when, when Apple first came out is just going, the, the drive doesn't work anymore. So those pictures that I have from yeah. when I stopped, I mean, I was using a digital camera, but they stored them all there. I would download them all there. And so everything from like 2000 to 2006 is just, it's just gone. It's almost all of it is gone. I, I, I don't know how to access it. And you're, you know, you're not going to go to a flea market 20 years from now. Like, right. hey, grandma's Find cloud drive. Hard drive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> grandma's hard drive. Well, I'm just selling you the credentials. We don't know what's on it. You know, I mean, the physical media means something. And yeah. um, it, it is, we are in an interesting age that if it's not in a cloud system that can be accessed by anyone, it's yeah, going to go the I'm way I'm just curious. You know, there was a period of time early on when we all had, you know, when people would get these digital handheld cameras and i do mm-hmm. still see and obviously bloggers and all have them in the parks these purpose-made cameras are not shooting with their phones but like parents don't get those anymore so you used to have like 
you know, Jimmy year one, Jimmy year two, Jimmy year three. And there was supposed to be a videotape or, a, mm-hmm. you know, so. now it's these little snips of, oh, there's Tommy's at bat in the little league game. And like, I don't think anybody's watching that in 10 years. Like, you're not going to have it. You're not going to. That's true. You know, we don't even upload them to Facebook or anything anymore. Like where you can go, but every now and then I'll come across videos I uploaded to Facebook. Like now 15 years ago, believe it or not, you know. And I'm like, I don't even know where that video is now if I wanted to find it. like. See, what I tend to do is we'll shoot like a whole trip, snips like that on my, you know, whatever, iPhone or GoPro. And then I take them and put them all together in one video. There you and go, I have Which is whole, nice. The yep. whole trip. And then I put it on YouTube. So you learned so something can... from your editing tour yep. on the studio's Backlot tour. I did. I, and I was thinking hot set. It's a hot set here in the basement. Do you have, Louis, a, get out of, Louis, do you have a hot set sign for uh, <laughs> I don't, your basement I door? I, uh, it's... Yeah, it's it's. I'm telling you, I, I this hit me the other day. It's like that. As much as I say it every episode, that park made me love movies. I mean, yeah. I went and saw the new Top Gun movies, and I was just like, I love movies. I love how they're made. I loved watching the making of that. I mean, even though you know it's it's it's, it's a cheesy action movie, it was just like fun. I, I love this stuff. It's so cool. It's uh, it as I said, what stuck out out to me most, and I and I hope people do go back and watch the movie because seeing everything done with physical sets and so yeah. few special effects and, and, and when I say special effects, digital effects uh, you know this was all kind of done uh, using physical things uh, it was really a throwback for me and by the way if you want to know how mind-blowing it was for us old guys and gals watch that and then watch Jurassic Park which came out three years later yeah, that was <laughs> and insane. It, and it just blows, like, Jurassic Park blew our minds. But it was a budgetary thing, too, right? The budget I, of both I, films, I, completely right, but they different. just physically couldn't do it in 1989. True. And then in 1992 and 93, a Terminator 2 comes out with the liquid guy and the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park and Forrest Gump's talking to JFK. Like, it all happened in, like, a couple of years. Like, it just, like, magic overnight. The movie's completely changed, mm-hmm. and and uh, it wasn't a progressive thing. I mean, just anything you can think of. And then Star Wars started to come out at the end of the decade, and you know everything is digital. Um, yeah, the, yeah, that Honey I Shrunk the Kids was practical effects. They just hit a yep. little different. They feel a little different. But I mean, my kids seven, she'll she'll watch that with me. It, well, it, and it's that, fun. That, it's got yeah. a. It's got because there's a little bit of playset kind of look to it. It, it it's not as scary as it would be today if it was made to look completely real now was that one touchstone or did that say disney at the beginning that was disney okay yeah i love that cartoon at the beginning too with the whole uh, you know the animated credits oh yeah, yeah well yeah, the, yeah, yeah, and yeah. and and that also had a, a pre-cartoon that was a roger Ra- there was a roger it rabbit was. cartoon before that 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 was the leader before that if you saw it in the theater um which i'm gonna forget the name of it was, was it tummy trouble yeah that's it oh that's there it. you tummy go trouble. Yeah. and uh so that was that that ran what an era yeah it was the golden years <laughs> Touchstone. Oh, ah, youth. Uh, uh, we're just we're all sitting here wh- wh- whittling wood on our 
on our porches talking about <laughs> a, ch- a child's the play 90s? set. <laughs> yeah, we're fantastic. Back when now, movies now here, were movies. Here, here's my question about that area. Was there anywhere around there that had like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids souvenirs or takeaways from that? I, I don't remember anything. anything. I don't remember a lot of Honey, I Shrunk the Kids merchandise, but since we're you know live... And I've got eBay in front of me. I'm gonna. You go you do that. I, I think the the one. I mean, we'll talk about as how mentioned. You know, they they did the bee thing in the in the um, walking tour where you'd fly. Oh, oh fly wait. The bee. There there were McDonald's cups, JT. Oh, they, oh they, okay. they, those big giant cups from McDonald's yeah. with thirty nine cents with your value meal or something. Yes, there were the there were the big plastic cups. But correct, correct me if I'm wrong. But how uh, d- downtown. Um, you know the ma- main street there in the studios that that the photography shop where you could go and put your name on a magazine did they do any blue screen photos like on a bee or flying or anything there <laughs> no no that that wouldn't have made sense um no and there wasn't a lot of merchandise for, i mean i think there were probably t-shirts uh you know the logo configuration was absolutely like iconic at that time with the three type fa- you know the three typefaces like uh, the three layers of it, like sitting on top of each other, they did a great job with uh, with um, logos during that time for for films from Disney, and they were very um, very very well done. But yeah, um, you know, I'm sure it was huge on home video. Um, but you know, they didn't do any toys. Because, uh, because, what do you do? I mean, you oh, here's your, your tiny your... action figures. All I have is the fanny pack to share with you. There, all you have is that, or, or you get the the uh, giant lawnmower that can suck you yeah. up. You know, or the yeah. no, unbreathable glad bag over your head. No, you know? uh, no Wayne Solinsky helmet with like the magnifying <laughs> oh, glasses and the no, lights on no, it. No, but stuff. a couple of people have done uh, like the Disney Halloween parties in that Wayne Solinsky hat. Okay, okay, so. Yeah, honey, I shrunk the kid's bomber jacket on eBay for five hundred dollars. Yeah, I think some of the production stuff, like you you see, you see some honey, I shrunk the kid's watch. (laughs) Oh my god, look at this! I'm trying to see if it was a serial premium or something. The kid's hanging from the uh, ballpark Franks. Ballpark Franks (laughs) had a honey, I shrunk the kid's wristwatch that you could send away for. But it was to promote the TV show that they did with oh, Peter Scolari. Oh, okay. Not with, uh, not with. Uh, oh, it looks Moranis. like there were some Hot Wheels for Honey I Shrunk the Kids movies. What is so? What is this? Hold on. This was a premium too. You had to mail away for this. These are That's sharks really and fascinating toys and hobbies. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. There's little Hot Wheels. Hot Wheels. These are all it was from the a TV mail show. away from the. Yeah, the, from the TV show. Yeah, interesting. So this must be right before. So I, I, honestly, it's so as we were discussed, this is right at that transition where they're changing, you know, companies, and they they probably didn't get the deal with uh, with Hasbro in time to actually produce um, uh, toys for this. I mean, even if you think about Toy Story in 94 it's like that was done by some little company called thinkway that no one ever heard of so it's like they were they didn't have the toys running on all uh, on all cylinders yet no this guy i'm pasting this one and this guy did a panoramic shot so you can see the entire mcdonald's cup without having to turn it around 
<laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> Brilliant. That's amazing. There's some onset candid shots. Um, there's a lenticular button. Um, yeah, a lot though. The, the, uh, and yeah. how there's uh, the November 1992 Cinefx Magazine number 52 had all about the special effects. Oh, I think we can probably grab that off of the Internet Archive. If you can find it, Cinefx Magazine 52. Excellent. Now they, they did make a cork uh, Beanie Baby looking guy at Epcot. Oh, oh wow. Oh, look Honey, at that. Honey, I shrunk the audience. Oh, there right. Was a, <clears throat> there was a messenger bag. Maybe that's the fanny. Yeah, fanny the fanny pack, pack messenger bag thing. I'm guessing that may have also been the TV show, though, that they, right, that some right. of that stuff was to, you know, because that was 97 they did that, at which point, you know, they owned ABC, they bought the Family Channel, they did, uh, they were trying to produce content for... Maybe yeah. we should just watch this on Laserdisc. Laserdiscs are available too. We'll just... <laughs> I can't. You've got my player. <laughs> it's right up here. Now, I, I always wanted as a kid, I remember watching when Nick's sitting there at the kitchen table and he's got the miniature shrinking machine and he shrinks the dog or he'd say, it works, it works. I always thought that would be cool to sit like on your, your nightstand or something, a miniature Wayne Zielinski shrinking machine. There we go. A lot of working parts and, and wires. And the uh, mm-hmm. didn't I see that the original shrinking machine prop has been restored and it was recently at the Bowers Museum? Oh, oh you're man. right. Yes, yes, that's right. There was that was um there was an episode on television about that too, um, where they went around to find the different parts to, to bring that yes, together. I can't prop culture, was that what the was might, that on, uh, on to Disney yeah. Plus? Yeah, yes. I think it was. That's right. And they restored the whole thing and they they found some of the original parts and, and had to read. And I mean something. you should note that the the redo of the final redo of Figment, the one that's there now with Eric Idle, they linked that and the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience attraction because Eric Idle was the awards presenter. Right. Presenting. So you're, so they, they, there was some synergy between the two pieces of the attraction. You'd go on to the Figment ride where the walk-in was had some links to Zelensky. At the Imagination Institute, and then the Honey, I Shrunk the Audience uh, film interactive film attraction was an award ceremony ostensibly for the Institute. Yeah, for the Institute, right? So Imagination so, so, Institute, I think, right? Yeah. yeah. So they made sense because you're walking through the Imagination Institute to get into the. Well, why don't we just talk about the movie right now? Let's go through. Yeah. It. <laughs> well, to, to, your, to and in fact, Brian, the the Honey I Shrunk the Audience attraction came first, and then right. they retconned the ride we right, to fit into, into it. it. Yeah, and I think we can all say thank God that they did because that second ride was one of the worst things that anybody <laughs> ever had to endure ever. So agreed. That's right. So. Well, Harold and gentlemen, thank you for taking this step back in time with us tonight. Uh, as always, it was great fun. And um, how maybe some, we can... A little something for the 90s fans. Yeah, you know? for the 90s and movie fans, MGM. It felt good to be back there a couple of weeks ago. It feels good to do this. Um, how maybe you and I can brainstorm on some Honey, I Shrunk the Kids uh, type t-shirt. You know, like I Survived oh, okay. the Slide. or I don't know. We'll come up with something fun with maybe the... The, the sign would uh, had that stamp on it. Movie set adventure, you know. I did like see that. a lovely uh, shirt that was done for the opening crew. Oh, that there we maybe go. can reproduce uh, that artwork. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, not get any trouble because yeah, yeah, that's kind we'll of. We'll do that in one. Norway. We can maybe do both. 
Actually, you could just sell a blank T-shirt and tell people everything has shrunk down on it. You just need to <laughs> you just, can't just sell it. some of some really really tiny that you need a, that you need a, a, a magnifying glass. If to we be sold able to really decipher. small shirts, too, Avon might buy them all too. Yes, to interview with her tiny microphone. With her tiny microphone, she could interview the tiny shirt and the the tiny apple and everything. So. But, well, this has been great fun, as always, gentlemen. I appreciate it. Um, so for everybody out there listening, uh, please send us your uh, thoughts and comments, questions to uh, podcast at RetroWDW.com. Uh, you can also give us a call at 978-71-RETRO, and maybe you'll get on the air with some of your recordings. Um, as always, we love bringing this to you every month. Uh, you can check out uh, all of our merchandise that we have for sale. Uh, at retrowww.com forward slash support us and that will take you to our tea public shop uh, which has all the different pieces of merchandise and designs that how and jason and a few others have done over the years we've got a lot of great stuff always try to add some great things in there and all proceeds go directly to the lake buena vista historical society and you can also donate directly at lbvhs.org forward slash donate so uh Gentlemen, again, thank you very much for your time. I know next month we're, uh, I don't think we've decided where we're going yet, but um, I'm hoping we're going to stay in the attraction realm. We'll start doing some research. Uh, we've got some ideas for different places. Uh, and uh, so thanks to everybody for listening. Going to do, uh, do the Main Street omnibus. That's just just the omnibus, the, the whole. The horse cart, the horse cart. That's it. Yeah. Are we going to interview that gentleman that uh, goes behind with that container? The, tra- <laughs> the honey bucket? As, 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 my, as my dad, what my, my dad called them road apples. Road apples. That's what my dad called them, road, road apples. The road so apple cleaner. The road apple scooper. Yep. We'll put him on him or her on the air and go from there. So, um, and yeah, so we'll be back with next month. And uh, again, if you, can get, if you can give us a shout out on iTunes, a positive review there is always welcome or wherever your favorite podcasting app is. Available in fine stores everywhere, right, Brian? Just as they would say. Wherever tapes or records are sold. Yes. That's right. Your finest podcast app. So with that, we'll see you next month. Brian, take us out. Follow the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society on Twitter and Instagram at LBV History and on the web at lbvhistory.org. For all things Retro Disney World, including exclusive merchandise, visit us on the web at retrowdw.com and on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at RetroWDW. And follow our hosts, Todd McCartney, on Twitter at WDWMS, Hal Bowers on Twitter and Instagram at GoAwayGreen, JT Couser on Twitter at LS1JT, and on YouTube at Rubber City Motoring, and on the web at RubberCityMotoring.com. And you can find me on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Brian P. Miles. Retro Disney World is the monthly podcast of the Lake Buena Vista Historical Society, a nonpartisan, nonprofit, tax exempt 501c3 organization, and is not affiliated in any way with the Walt Disney Corporation or any of its subsidiary or affiliated entities. Thank you.